today's guest is Jason Cutler. He's an arborist, and he was actually my old ag teacher and FFA advisor from back in high school. Uh, he just started his own company in arboriculture, so he talks with us about transitioning from working for somebody to running his own business in that. He talks about back when he was teaching, talks about the politics of school, about teachers, about parents and students, how to take care of your plants, uh, everything under the sun. So I hope you enjoy. It's a good episode. Welcome back to Don't Take My Word For It. Today we have Jason Cutler. He's my old ag teacher and now an arborist. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. Uh, Cody, I can't believe you're slacking, man. Um, He's in Ohio. Yeah. It's probably his fault that train derailed. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Can't take him anywhere. No, thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, looking forward to talking about a lot of different stuff and just being a better interview than Mitchell. That's my whole goal. Yeah. <laughs> what didn't you like about Mitchell's interview? He was no. our second, I think. No, there's nothing wrong with Mitchell. I just like giving him a hard time. <laughs> I didn't realize you knew him. He's a. I didn't know. When did you leave uh, teaching? I don't know how long that was after I I graduated in 2015. And Mitchell, I think, is like four years younger than me or something. Yeah, so I had Mitchell as a freshman, and um, I've referred a good amount of people to his business, actually, when I was still in Springfield. Oh. And he called our office. I worked at All About Trees in Springfield, which is an awesome company, um, to begin my career as an arborist after teaching. And uh, he called, and I did a consultation with him, which was cool because it was kind of a, you know, meeting students on a professional or adult level, which is cool um, to do anytime, actually. Uh, my last year of teaching was 2018-2019, uh, and that was at Monette. Okay. Yeah, Mitchell, whenever I was working for Cody, whenever Cody had the landscape store mm -hmm. here in Billings, Mitchell was in all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it almost actually seems like he's never working, kind of. <laughs> and he'll talk your ear off on the phone, too. Yeah. So you brought a bunch of stuff for us here today. Yeah, I brought a variety of different things just to kind of show. And, and most of this stuff is is newer or, or lightly used because I just went out on my own. We moved uh, about an hour away from Springfield. So I've been a certified arborist um, actually since my second year of, of teaching. I started teaching high school agriculture in 2010-2011 in Joplin, Missouri, and then the big tornado hit. Uh, I was already interested in trees and loved trees, but what happened was during the tornado, not only were people um, and homes and, and a lot of other things destroyed infrastructure, but over 50,000 trees that were destroyed, and so I was teaching at the tech center and we taught greenhouse and landscaping uh, was one of my two-year, two-hour courses. And we got really, really involved in uh, tree planting projects post-tornado. So I became a certified arborist and met um, a couple of guys, one who I worked for and one who I worked with later on. Uh, and so that's kind of how I began to be an arborist. That's awesome. I, I guess I don't know. You know, it's not something that a lot of people realize happens. People taking care of trees. Uh, and and there's so many that always fascinates me whenever you learn like a facet of society that people don't pay attention to that often. There's so many things out there that somebody out there, if you think about anything, somebody out there is an expert. Somebody is obsessed with it. Uh, I, I remember in high school, some of the classes, whenever you'd have uh, 
you had like the tw- the twigs out and everybody <laughs> would uh do the tree id off of them i'm obsessed with trees all the time i go hiking probably every week and the amount of times that my girlfriend gets tired of me talking about what trees are what and like picking up ne- pine needles off the ground trying to figure out what tree it came from uh it and driving by look at that telling her look at those shortleaf pines over there <laughs> i'm nice. obsessed with them shortleaf pines and aspen trees those are my favorite we don't have the aspens here but uh, that's what I love, love about Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, there. There's a ton of different stuff like that. And again, my my background was not, uh, I would say, typical for for a lot of people who are arborists. Uh, some of of the people that I worked with had no formal education at all in in arbor culture. Mine mine was really really different. I think three of the guys that I worked with after they went to high school went to this um, federal government program called Job Corps and learned climbing and urban forestry there. And so they they had formal training, almost like a tech school. And there are high schools around the country, uh, tech centers that have arboriculture programs. But arboriculture in, at its very basic thing is, is caring for trees. Um, some arborists never climb any trees. Some climb trees all the time some of them are doing more uh, diagnostics as far as oh what disease or pest does this thing have or what is what other problems are going on my my background was was more in that because as i was teaching i taught a lot of different things like soils and 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 plants plant biology um insects and things like that so i had a really interesting background because after i became a certified arborist i wasn't working in arboriculture i was just teaching and continuing to teach high school agriculture things like forestry soils again entomology and so on so a lot of those things overlapped to what i ended up doing whenever i got hired at all about trees they needed somebody to do plant health care and the big part of that was knowing plant id trees mostly some shrubs and being able to not only identify that plant but then pest problems and so if you can't identify disease or pests then it's it's problematic and no one was really at the company was wanting to do that very much there they're all interested in climbing and pruning and so on and so it worked out but i uh, noel boyer who's the owner there was like yeah i don't have a full-time job you know in this plant healthcare thing so if you want to come drag brush and and stuff like that you you can see how it, it works so I did a couple of days in, in the summer. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, kicked my butt. I grew up on a farm and was used to relatively hard work. But yeah, cowboy boots are not ideal for um, going on golf courses and dragon brush. What do you got now? Is this uh, specifically for climbing? Uh, these are not. These are our chainsaw protective boots. They are, are climbing related. I'll try to put them up on camera and not <laughs> kick anything. Me in the head, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah Where do you buy those? Well, um, you can on online. Hyx oh, yeah. is the is the brand. There's different classes of chainsaw protection. A lot of the guys that climb daily have a uh, different style of boots. These I do climb in, uh, but they're they have a wider footbed. So some of the guys that climb have very climbing specific ones that are not chainsaw protective because um, they're more flexible. 
getting out on the tips of, of branches and stuff. So is it is that uh, one of those things, one of those industries where the, most people get into it don't think about the technical side of it like that, and they're just like, I want to climb up some trees, and it kind of seems like it would be that kind of thing where there are, people just think that's all there is to it, climbing up and cutting trees down. Uh, there, there and, is. So there, just like a lot of industries. Depends on what the regulations are. We live in the Midwest here. Southwest Missouri is a less regulated area than, say, California. All things, really. Yeah, and, and other places. And so um, anybody can have a tree company, really. I mean, uh, even in Springfield, there's there's about five very legitimate uh, tree arboricultural businesses that do pruning and removals and and no technical standards and how to do that stuff right and have appropriate insurance um not just oh yeah we're bonded insured licensed whatever that doesn't really mean anything you have to verify somebody's insurance i mean just for for me i have a million dollars of of liability insurance professional liability as well as um you know, insurance for my business and stuff. So there, there's a lot of stuff like that. And then workman's comp is incredibly expensive. And that is where a lot of the tree companies get, get sketchy. There's a lot of inappropriate things that tree companies do. Um, you know, tree services, uh, if they say they'll top their trees, that's totally inappropriate. Like that we've known for 50 years that that's not good for trees. So just cutting the top off of it and leaving yeah. it like that. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, it, my yeah. I mean, it's, taking away all of its food uh and then it's it's stress growth they do it a lot to to sweet gums and silver maples and stuff and it's really really bad so yeah there's there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that can be done but a lot of people get into it um maybe not from the aspect of like i did i just i love trees and they were super interesting my younger brother though um who was also involved in a lot of agricultural stuff and got his degree at, at Missouri State as well um, in ag. He was a full-time climbing arborist for a company in Kansas City and a crew leader. And so I got to see him compete in Springfield in 2017. And like that was I'm like, okay, this is super cool to to watch them in a, in a climbing competition. And just like any sort of competition, you know, there's there's winner and losers and, and time is – um, important, but a lot of it really does mimic what climbing arborists would do on a job. And so being able to figure some of that stuff out, um, was cool and, and watch him and he did really well. And so that was also cool. So ever since 2017, I've, I've gone to a minimum of, of one climbing competition per year, not as a competitor, but at, at least, um, as a judge or a volunteer or an observer, uh, so the at the first year after I saw him, I went and, and then was a timekeeper for an yeah. event and stuff. So it's super cool. Um, hoping to go to maybe three this year. I competed in a couple last year. Win anything? Uh, <laughs> no, I I I won. Uh, not being last place. That's what I that's what I won, Matt. Uh, um, again, but a big part of my job is it hasn't been climbing, um, and so it was a big kind of stretch for me to, to enter my first competition, which was good for me. You know, it's sometimes hard to get out of your comfort zone. And I was like, I'm just going to do this because if I don't now, then maybe I never will. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah. Is there any uh, bleed between the in between your industry and linemen? Because it seems like they both do a lot of climbing, and that seems to be an industry that's on the rise that I hear about a lot recently. Are there anybody that you knew who were linemen, or anybody who moves from arboriculture to line to being linemen? Well, climbing. <laughs> Some, but the the climbing is a lot different as, as a, for tree removals using spikes. Like I don't even have my, my gaffs or my spikes with me because I was doing pruning earlier today. Um, there, there is some crossover, but not as much as you might think. Uh, there's all different sides of, of arboriculture. It's just like anything. I think the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Uh, and that was always, that was one thing I was afraid I would miss from teaching high school is I always had such variety and I was always learning something. Well, it hasn't changed since arboriculture. I, I miss the students, but I still get to do a lot of teaching with, with the homeowners and, yeah. and my peers and stuff too. So, yeah. Is that something that you try to do a lot of is, uh, teaching homeowners how they can do a lot of the stuff themselves and not have to have an someone an expert do work for them by doing preventative maintenance themselves yeah unfortunately too many homeowners care just about the lawn and and trees and grass really aren't aren't friends and so uh, mitchell might not want to (laughs) listen to this part of the episode but he's he's heard this before when i did a consultation with him we talked about it a lot of our urban tree problems or trees, you know, that are in town, uh, golf courses, uh, universities, public places, whatever, a lot of those problems are caused solely because the trees are, are kind of an afterthought. You know, the, imagine putting a large tree in the area of this table. Yeah. Well, the soil volume that's there is, is totally inadequate for that tree to get mature. Uh, and then it's surrounded by a parking lot. So it's really, really hot. And then they put fertilizer on to try to get this grass to grow. Well, now you have insect problems. So a lot of a lot of the problems. My my job as a plant healthcare arborist, when I was working all about trees, I tell people all the time, like a lot of my job is just bad planning, bad planting, uh, bad landscape management. Not that landscapers don't know what they're doing for the landscape or yeah. the grass, but they are doing things that are harmful to the trees. Irrigation. I mean, some some of the main problems that I dealt with, uh, I I would basically have you know a big spiel to the homeowner. I'm like, we can we can treat this disease or insect problem with these sort of things, but you need to change the way that you water. You can't water all over the trunk of this tree. It's literally causing this fungal problem. You know. Or you have to mulch this appropriately. Don't make a giant volcano around the tree. You know, <laughs> I see keep, that a lot. it's terrible. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of you know ignorance. Unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of ignorance in 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 any industry. Um, but some of the stuff is really basic. You know, that I tell homeowners to do. Like, yeah, you need to do this, and you know, we you can save some trees by doing some minor minor stuff. And, it, and try to remind them, like, this is not a magic bullet. There's not a magic bullet. Tree time is not like people's time. You know, if a tree is dying immediately, well, that's few and far between. Really, there's a lot of other causes, you know. Yeah. There, are some, there are some pests and diseases that will kill a tree. 
pretty well immediately, but that's rare. Tree time is not people time. It, a, no, it really, it really isn't. An interesting way to put it. Yeah, they live a lot longer. I went to uh, Sequoia National Park in yeah. California uh, in August, I think it was, and though I didn't think about how big those trees were. I've seen big trees, I thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Um, not to Sequoia. I got to see the Redwoods just north of San Francisco, and I cannot think of uh, oh, Muir Woods. Muir Woods. Oh, it's, yeah. it's just just north of San Francisco. My wife was out there for a conference, and I flew out to meet her. Um, I only got to spend, you know, like part of a morning, but it was it was mind blowing. It was amazing. That's I thought it was whole super state cool. Is so beautiful. I don't I don't like the. I mean, me and Cody tried living there for a little bit last summer, <laughs> and we came back pretty quickly. Uh, the the state is beautiful, but I hate living there. Uh, super expensive. Yeah, yeah, very expensive. I, I lived in I lived and worked in South Lake Tahoe in two thousand six, oh. and uh, I was born in Sacramento. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then we moved here, and then me and Cody stayed in Sacramento when we were gotcha. there. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so that's not too far from Tahoe. Yeah, we drove through there on our way there. That was actually my first time being there. When I was a kid, we didn't go anywhere. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's a beautiful area too. Uh, when we were on that long trip, I I had read about. Pando, the gigantic aspen tree colony in Utah that's like supposed to be the biggest living organism yeah. on earth. And I drove right through it without thing. I wanted to stop and I drove right by Fish Lake <laughs> National Forest without stopping to see where. And I was mad, so mad at myself for not actually stopping and looking and taking in the fact of you're standing inside of the biggest thing ever that's yeah. ever lived. <laughs> Those aspen trees are so pretty. Uh, I love them. Is it possible to grow an aspen tree here? Uh, possible to grow is different than possible of keeping alive long term. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, pro- you probably could. Again, it, it would just take a lot of, of effort. Some stuff is just not well suited to to our region. Again, um, well, looking at a lot of the evergreens that, that died or declined this last year, Arborvitaes, Leland Cypress, even some of the eastern white pines, we had, you know, a lot of it's just climatic stuff, you know, the wet, wet, wet spring. Well, then you have root suffocation and then we had drought. And so these trees and shrubs had, were predisposed. They already had roots die before the main growing season. And then they had drought. So they had less ability to capture water. Mm-hmm. And then we not only had drought and extended drought, but we had over a hundred degrees for multiple days. So I even lost some stuff at, at my own house because I didn't, didn't give it enough water, you know? And so it's like, ah, so is I, that not a normal, uh, it, it seems that people talk a lot about as time goes on with climate change, that extreme weather like that will happen more and more often. You'll have worse storms or worse droughts and that is that just going to be a trend that you think keeps on going that you're going to have to deal with in in that industry yeah i think it really is uh in in forestry or arboriculture again so some of some of the stuff that landscapers and landscape architects and and all the people who end up choosing trees to plant uh we overplant species because oh they they've survived or they're pretty or it's whatever someone likes you know the problem with some of those species again just like anything you overplant 
you take, you know, throw all your eggs in one basket. The more diverse you can get, the better off you are. And so trees and shrubs and other plants for that matter that are adaptable to uh, more extreme weather, more extreme climates tend to do better. And so I have some cypress, some bald cypress trees. Well, they can thrive in, in wet conditions. Mm-hmm. So that means their roots don't drown out and die, but they can also tend to survive some drought conditions too, more than, more than some others. Um, like the white pine or or whatever. As I say, I've noticed if you look at distribution maps of a bald cypress, it seems like they displace a lot of other like evergreen trees or I mean uh, pine trees around the Boot Hill area of Missouri. Uh, I guess because they do better around the wet soils. I guess. Yeah. Uh, or whenever you go into Arkansas, you see them in the swampy areas mm-hmm. sticking out of the water. They look a lot different than whenever you see them here in Missouri. Yeah. Part part of it. A lot of ours are. Well, in this part of Missouri, are just planted planted trees, you know, instead of a wide open, you know. Yeah. Do uh, you? Uh, I I hear a lot of people say that it's almost that it's always better to plant trees that are native plant plants all around that are native to the area. Is that something that that you find to be true, or is it uh, I, not the case? I think there is good reasoning behind it, but it's not a hundred percent the case. We can have invasive pests come in from other parts of the world we can send pests that tend to be invasive to other parts of the world uh that will kill our our native plants we're looking at a lot of stuff right now the the cool thing is um annually the department of conservation has their forest entomologist robbie door and then their uh, state uh forest pathologist and i don't know the, the new person's name but just within the past two weeks, they did their update and I was, I was at it in Joplin. So they were kind of talking about a lot of these similar issues and planting native is a good idea in general, but there's no catch all because all of our ash trees are native here and you can plant them all day, but they're all going to die because of Emerald dashboard. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, eventually there's about five or six counties in Southwest Missouri that, it hasn't been recorded yet um, from McDonald County up to to probably Vernon County. I can't tell you that for sure, but a lot of those counties just, it hasn't, it's probably there. It just hasn't been detected yeah. by the Department of Conservation yet. Yeah. So it, there's a lot of things I won't give a straight answer on. And that's, you know, that's one of them. It's like, there, there are a lot of good reasons to plant native things, but if, if our climatic conditions are going to get more um, cyclical as far as, or more erratic as far as, you know, drought, you know, extreme weather conditions or, you know, lots more rainfall because from an overall rainfall perspective, we may be fine, but just the past week, you know, we've had a lot more rainfall than, than what, what we did for a significant period of time in the summer. So, okay, we're fine for the year, but we're really, you can still be in a drought and have too much rain, which is weird. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I, not just with trees, but you hear, I've seen articles about it. I've read about it, about a lot of people advocating for 
especially grasses for planting native grasses and getting rid of a lot of turf lawn or lawns that people have out here. Is that something you find to be true for the health of trees? Is that because that's what I was thinking about when you were saying that. And I've seen articles in the Missouri Conservationist talking about people who actively manage to have just native grasses and they go out and kill anything that they find in their yard that's not native just because it's better for animal species, better for trees, better for insects, everything. Yeah, I mean, we you really think as far as uh, cities and urban areas and, and stuff like that, the Midwest with a lot of like subdivisions and small lots and so on, everybody wanting grass to be green, it's really not an ideal situation for pretty wasteful for water too it's it's super wasteful (laughs) i don't see the reason it's super wasteful for water um so for the health of trees again i always tell people you know like i could care less about grass i'll I'll let all the clover and whatever else grow there because i don't care about the grass i mean i want something to grow there but it's if it's crabgrass or whatever i don't care um if it's you know oxalis or I, i really don't care what's what's growing there as long as it's not super invasive you know if it's a big leaf winter creeper i'm gonna kill it Um, i don't even know what that is yeah it's it's a real it's a problematic vining plant and uh it will grow up around trees and they use it as a ground cover Mm. um just because it looks nice sir (laughs) well he'll just like a lot of things we we had good ideas but they don't always end up and they're still sticking around yeah (laughs) i've seen uh some people talk about one of the advantages of having grasses that are native to this area rather than a lot of these thick grasses people grow because like small animals can't run under through them very easily mm-hmm. because they have these really thick close to the ground whereas a lot of native grasses spread out more or thinner taller yeah they're and and clump style grasses too so yeah there there's a a big difference between some of of the grasses that we planted and a lot of them again weren't inherently for lawn purposes but some of them were for uh grazing purposes you know so fescue and and things like that Mm -hmm. so a a lot of times you know we did things with good intentions doesn't always end end up that way unfortunately (laughs) yeah you uh you brought a bunch of you brought stuff here for us what what do you got here yeah so there's there's plenty of stuff um arboriculture uh climbing arboriculture um with tree removals and and pruning and stuff involves a lot of technical rigging and stuff and and technical rigging is i am not the world's best at that by any any means um again i was on the nerd side of of our culture i did i did climb and i still do climb (laughs) well it's all it's all fun honestly i i love a good mix of it um but yeah so different things um you know here's this is just a, a rigging ring and it's on a sling. Basically, you're using it to to control um, a, a a rope is is running through this, and you're you're tying it off to something, um, a limb that you're that you're going to rig down, and it it's just providing a a place for that rope to go instead of go wherever it wants. And same thing with a block, and it, it can open up. So these are just some relatively common tools in in rigging. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's really easy to spend money. <laughs> you should sell the stuff <laughs> back here that yeah, you didn't sit on the counter. Yeah, it's it's really expensive, but you know a lot of a lot of things. So for for any any person you know that's interested in in climbing, you can like you can get paid to climb trees, and uh, that won't be the only thing that you do. But it's it's uh, it's cool. So there there are people who 
that's all they wanted to do is just climb, climb, climb. And that's awesome. But there's a lot you need to know about the trees themselves. So when I started working at All About Trees, well, I had a ton of background in like how to make proper pruning cuts and, and knowing tree species and things like that. I couldn't move worth anything in, in a tree. I could like barely get up in it. And so learning, I'm still learning route planning and, you know, I've, I've been doing it full time for uh, almost four years. And so that doesn't mean I've been climbing, you know, four years. There's, there's some guys that uh, started, you know, two years ago who are just way ahead of me in, in climbing because they do it every day or, or most every day and already had a knack for, for some of those things. And so, um, this is your best friend or your worst enemy. This is, this is like a, a lead filled bag. It's called a throw bag or a throw ball. And, uh, looks like a little fishing string and kind of use like that. You, you throw it up into a tree over a, a branch union that you're, that you're trying to, to set your climbing line on. And so you, you can, make your day terrible with this it's called the great equalizer and you you will uh love or hate your your day sometimes based on how this little why does it get stuck up in trees or something (laughs) yeah or or it's not going where you want there's a lot of manipulation to it to this yeah (laughs) no it's it's there's a lot of technique to it and and learning what works for you and it doesn't what works for you doesn't always work for someone else and what works for you in one situation may not work in another situation, depending on the type of tree or, you know, it's like one time I, there was no place to throw into this tree other than off of the deck. Like I had to work off of this guy's deck on mm-hmm. in this bald cypress. So I'm having to watch out for things around me. So that's a, you know, I could put a window out. It looks like, Oh yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a 10 ounce yeah. one, but they when, have them for up to 16 ounces. Whenever I was in the Navy, they would use, they it wasn't this, but they called it a monkey's fist. Just to, it's like a ball of knots. Oh yes. You and know, I know you, exactly you, what you're talking about. Yeah. You'd use it to like a ship is coming in and you have somebody standing on the pier and somebody on the boat and you're throwing a line across so that you can actually tie the ship off to the pier. And that's what they'd use for it. That might've been handier for it, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it depends. A, a monkey's fist is totally used in arbor culture in, in the, in the right context. But if you're trying to, so my, my throw line I have there is probably about 180 feet. And so if you think about it, you know, I can 90 feet is my highest point and still get it back to the ground. And so then I, I would, I would tie off, you know, a rope of some sort. So like there's tons of different devices and I'll try to be quiet here with my carabiner. Um, but you know, there's, there's mechanical devices. This is, uh, one is it's called a Tazlov three. It basically, um, it is used more in like rope, uh, access work, um, on buildings and, and rescue and stuff. But in arboriculture, when you're ascending, especially it's a, it's a quick device. So, you know, it, it goes on the rope and carefully open it up. So you've got your hardware inside there and then you're limited on rope size. You know, each device has manufacturer's recommendations or, or regulations. And it says, okay, Hey, the rope, the rope goes here. You know, this is the spot that you would actually attach it to you not to you proper but a climbing harness um in this situation so mm-hmm. that's just one example 
more of a newer school method. It looks like you get your fingers cut up in that pretty easily. Um, you can. Uh, the, the thing you really actually have to be careful on, on that device is when you're descending, this, you open it up, and it if you open it up too much, boy, you will go fast. <laughs> uh, and you do not want to always go that fast. I've seen videos definitely of people falling down, you know, to the end of a rope and then the rope, they come right out from them and then they had to catch themselves on rocks and trees or whatever. I can't imagine how scary that would feel. Yeah. And so again, like when I talk, talking about regulations, so arboriculture is, is, has a lot of suggestions, but not, um, regulations. Um, really as far as, <laughs> versus some other trades i guess you should say um so they're they've been in the process of working with osha because a lot of times an osha inspector or whatever would classify something that was done in arboriculture underneath say forestry or or something else and it's not always appropriate like usage of cranes um or aerial lifts like a bucket truck or a, a platform lift or whatever the thing is it's just not it's not the same and so um used to be different different regulations and and any everything's always changing anyway but um just trying to <laughs> lack of regulation can lead to some really really sketchy stuff and uh <laughs> It's why there's some really scary things out out there. I've definitely like just been working for people when they want a tree gone, been doing things that I don't think wasn't very comfortable doing. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, just we rented one of those bucket lift things, uh, and just up in there cutting a tree down and just kind of leaning over the edge of the chainsaw and trying to drop limbs not down on somebody's head <laughs> yeah and were there two of you in the lift uh sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it's not a tied good... to it or anything like yeah, that yeah yeah so no no land like so i i have uh a lift harness and in, in everything that i that i wear and part of that's i worked for a good company had a good safety culture and and learned a lot of stuff but it's easy it's easy to make a mistake i mean yeah. and and uh, it can you can die yeah when you're just working for joe schmo it's not as regulated <laughs> Well, yeah, and and again, it's so some places don't require a business license. Some places don't have you know anything like that. Uh, some of the coolest stuff I've got to do lately, I've got to do some really cool stuff. Uh, so the bulk of when when I worked at all about trees, I did generally three main tasks. You know, I was on a pruning crew, pruning trees. And dealing with debris, uh, cleaning that up, and so on. You know, sometimes climbing, sometimes in a bucket, not a ton. Uh, sometimes in a in a lift, also not a ton. I didn't I didn't run a bucket or a lift nearly as much as a lot of the other guys. Um, or I was on a removal crew. You know, removing uh, trees. And again, it could be all from the ground. It could be climbing, using aerial lifts, whatever. Or again, a lot of my main job during the growing season was the plant healthcare stuff of identifying pests, diseases, and then helping people come up with the treatment plan and applying pesticides when appropriate or growth regulators or or whatever. But a lot of times it was 
along with a lot of advice like, yes, this stem canker you have on your red maple, we can treat it, you know, with this fungicide, but you have to move your irrigation. You need to get this mulch taken care of. You need to do this. And do people it, actually ever need <laughs> any of that advice? <laughs> yeah, that's a, not as much as they could. Uh, and again, they, find out they have to dig up stuff. They're like, I don't want to. And, and sometimes <laughs> it's it's not, really not very difficult, and it's way less expensive than than the treatment stuff that that we're that we're doing. And I I always try to be really straightforward with people. Like, oh yeah, I want to like say it's an ash tree. It's like, well, it already has emerald ash borer. Is, well, can it be saved? Well, that's a relative question. What else is going on with it? Did you, you know, how many times have you hit it with the mower? You know, you look, you look down like they just dug a new, um, you know, deck pilings and, and cut half the roots on the tree. You're like, no, this is not a good candidate to save. Sometimes they still want to do it. And I'm like, that's fine. You can do it. It's your money. And I've told you this is not a good idea. Um, why? Just because it's probably not going to live in the long run, and it's going to cost them a lot of money and damage. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, again, so I I do remove trees with with my own business, but that is not my preference. So some what, the job that I was working on today, uh, I'm not removing them today. But uh, there's three ash trees in the back. Well, they all have emerald ash borer. They've been dying. They're also really infested with several types of decay fungi so they're they're going to die we could treat them with emerald ash borer uh appropriate treatments but the the tree is in such poor health that it may keep it alive like a year or two longer that's it and so it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. um it's it's not cheap and again you're also even in the case of where you're direct injecting a tree which is a lot of what i did for emerald ash borer in particular you're drilling holes into a tree and hooking up a device, you know, to in- directly inject this insecticide, there's still that insecticide's going somewhere, you know, into the tree, but you know, stuff doesn't disappear, you know, it doesn't just magically go away. Uh it has to go somewhere. So it's, you know, versus a soil applied insecticide or you know, spraying a whole tree canopy and it getting drift everywhere. I mean, it's a better option. But if you don't have to do that on a tree that doesn't have any chance anyway, say, save the money and, and get it removed. Or if it's not going to cause any problems, you know, I tell a lot of people, just enjoy the woodpecker activity that you have here. You know, hmm. there's a lot of times that people have a low toleration for or a low tolerance of things that don't look good. And, in nature, like all the trees and stuff aren't going to look good. When we I had mean, the ice, did, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's a there's a lot of reasons to. They still have use when they're like, yeah, you know. yeah, to the environment and to you. I mean the 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 trees that are outside of this house here are providing enormous benefits. Even if the acorns are a pain to pick up, so or the you can leaves, hear all these birds out here. Yeah, you can you, you can hear you can hear the birds, but not just Where that. Walking and mm-hmm. I mean, trees provide so many resources that so okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna re we're gonna replant, you know, two tiny trees when we remove this one. You're you're not getting that back in in my lifetime. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, unless I live to be really old. Yeah. <laughs> if they're keeping us from having another dust bowl. What? Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but there, there are a lot of there's a lot of advantages yeah. to to trees. Um, 
which is one reason why, again, different different parts of arbor culture, some people are only in the business of consulting, meaning they don't do any any work with the trees, but they're out there to give you advice, planning, uh, tree protection on 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 construction sites, and and so on and so forth. So I've got to do some really cool stuff. Um, again, plant healthcare was the bulk of of the work that I did, all about trees. Uh, but yeah, there's there's so much um, interesting stuff. That from the consulting side, some of the coolest stuff I've done is zip lines. Uh, they they have to have reports um, by an arborist done annually, and so they ha- you have to inspect the trees that have any hardware. So I've done a couple hmm. um, in Missouri and Arkansas. It's super cool. Um, just a, a thing that you didn't wouldn't necessarily think about, but theme parks and stuff like uh, make sure trees aren't going to hit people on roller coasters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, risk assessments are huge. So I've been a tree risk assessment I was just qualified say, I saw here. This what is this expert witness and litigation? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, expert witness and litigation. Yeah, that's that's exciting. That means that you're doing legal work, which I've got involved in some. Um, it's interesting but it's usually because somebody's done something stupid like cut down a lot of trees not on their property Mm. so the couple cases without sharing details of of the things public property you know we're in southwest missouri there's we have all these lakes that have army corps of engineer property around around them and so there are all kinds of regulations when your property goes adjacent to the army corps of engineers my grandparents um used to have a, uh, a house up on palm de chair lake so i actually had a little bit of background in knowing about some of that somebody called me and said hey i got this fine from the army corps of engineers uh, can you help me out they appraise these trees and i was like well like just send me send me all all of your information so without again getting in too much detail the property owner um cut down trees that were on army corps property so the property owner was in the wrong but the reason he ended up hiring me was not because what he did was wrong but because of their valuation of those specific trees Got he it. thought was unfair so they find him for way more than he thought <laughs> you were going to tell him hopefully yeah you don't know that much money <laughs> yeah well and, and you don't know and i i told him i was like you may be paying this fine plus me like you need to send me all of all of the details and so on and so um there was only a little bit of wiggle room i said you shouldn't try to fight this uh there were a few trees that were not identified and i said this is the area where you might have some play and i said so if you want to i can come down but it's gonna cost you a lot of money just for me to come down there so learning you know learning to help people and and not give them false hope i'm like i'm gonna be honest even if it's to your detriment man like sorry like don't don't think i'm just gonna write up what you want me to write up yeah because that's not how i roll (laughs) uh so i i always tell people that and i'm like you you might have a case like do you want to go to court do you so if somebody wants to hire me for something like that it's again it's usually unfortunately a bad situation yeah somebody cut down something that they shouldn't have and it's either 
or I've seen this too, killed it with herbicide. Uh, you know, somebody had something happen to them or they did something that they shouldn't have done. Yeah. And then it's hopefully most of the time going to settle out of court, but sometimes not. And so, um, I haven't had to go to court yet. That's Uh, where you're an expert witness. You consider yourself an expert? Yeah. And again, according, according to what a lot of laws would Mm -hmm. say, then yes. And again, it depends on the situation. So if, if they ask me about a bunch of stuff about California native trees, I'm probably not the person, you know, but for stuff around here, that's, it's a, it's a fair assessment. I don't know everything about everything, but that's whenever you bring in other people. That's kind of the the sign of uh, an actually intelligent person, I would imagine. Somebody who knows a lot about something but admits they don't know everything, you know. Uh, And somebody who is interested in learning more about it all the time. That's uh, You're probably pretty smart about it then. Yeah, it's again, I've always been interested in learning. I would go to school forever if somebody would pay for it. But uh, (laughs) again, it's, you know. With the advent of the internet, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, there, there really is. And some of it is some good information. So some of the arboricultural standards, like you have to pay to get a hold of the ANSI pruning standards or, or things like that. Um, and there's courses out there and some are free and, and some are not, but through YouTube, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good arboricultural information. Not everybody out there is good, but there, there are some really good, um, YouTube channels of arborists that, want to teach people educated climber is one uh patrick is his name he's out of uh, canada and then uh climbingarborist.com he's in british columbia canada and then i mean there, there are, there's others but those are are two just like right off the top of my head that have really good educational informational um videos and it's like sure that you know they do stuff for content but uh a lot of it's it's literally training, you know. That's kind of cool to think or to think about. People are just out there watching videos on how to climb trees better and how to yeah. take care of trees better. Yeah, no, it really is. Like, uh, there's there's so much to it. There in person classes. I I've always in, enjoyed in person stuff, but when when COVID hit and some of the stuff was available online, like I did a online, you know. It wasn't through Zoom, but it was something similar like that. Uh, or maybe it was Zoom. I don't know. It was a chainsaw safety course. So there's people from all over the country doing this. And and the instructor is in North Carolina, and she's super good. Mm-hmm. Um, going to try to to bring her um, somewhere close to the southwest Missouri area for our training later this year if we can get our grant approved. We'll see. Uh-huh. Um, climbing Meg is, is her name. She's done all kinds of training stuff, but she's just, uh, you know, some people you really click with as far as in an educational setting. I'm sure that you had that, uh, with some teachers and, and not as much with others. And even, I mean, I know in some of my classes when I was teaching, I was just like, I'm just not clicking as well with them. Something I'm saying is not making as much sense. So, yeah, but we had people from all over the place and we're having all these good discussions about stuff after the class is over, you know, and, and really, honestly, social media, like I, I was a, a latecomer to Instagram, but I use it to learn uh, yeah. about arbicultural stuff. I share, share information too on, on my more nerdy technical expertise areas, you know, talking to people about, 
oh, hey, you know, this, this pest is happening right now here in, in Southwest Missouri. Um, you know, look for, look for this. And, and people are like, oh yeah, what do you need to spray? Like, you don't have to, you know, there's a lot of options other than just start eradicating for the advice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that, Subscribe. Do you, yeah. <laughs> do you do, uh, like how do do you bill people hourly? Are you billing by the job or is it depending on what service they're getting? What yeah, that's, mean? that's a great question. So it, it's all variable. And, uh, in order to not, um, <laughs> be in trouble with uh with the law about like setting prices and discussing uh prices i can give vague information but yeah it really depends so like on a consultation if somebody's just like uh, i had a lady for example call me and say hey i just i want to talk about my trees i've got some tree problems whatever it is i said okay this is your rate for me to come out there and talk to you for an hour if it goes over an hour it'll be you know additional amount so you can send me all your questions that you have beforehand make a good route of where we're going to walk what trees you want to talk about um and then we'll go from there and she was happy to pay that rate and happy to go over the hour time because mm-hmm. she still had more questions and you know i had to give her a lot of bad news like this tree's dead this tree is almost dead and is going to die because you cut this septic tank you know, drain field here and, and, uh, you should not try to remove this tree yourself. Like, I mean, I can do it, but there's people I know that are way closer to you who are legitimate, you know, you can call them. So it really depends. You know, some of it service based stuff is, is, you know, for like a tree growth regulator, it's kind of an expensive product. So just the cost of that, plus my application equipment, Plus estimated time is usually usually what it is. Overhead in any business is a thing. Especially Even, once you start getting labor. <laughs> yeah, well, I I do have people who are not full time employees or even part time employees. I I will hire at basically at will, and it's people that I know mm. and you know agreed upon day rate or or whatever, yeah. and. Uh, for a lot of that stuff, but sometimes it's, it's passing stuff off to other people. Like for training and education, if I'm, if I'm going to do a class, um, for a company or uh, utility arboriculture is, is a big sector of arboriculture. The people who prune trees near power lines or remove trees near power lines. And it's just a different sector because they care about keeping the power yeah. on and and which is so, important but also it, not, it is might not line up with the interests of the trees <laughs> correct and so but it's utility arboriculture has come a long way um even even in the past 20 years i feel like so if you know if somebody were to hire me let's say it was a, a local utility company is trying to get a few of their arborists to get certified i would basically give them a, a rate based on well how many hours of prep work, you know, that I'm going to have to do, you know, how many people are, are in class? Am I providing materials or, or am I just showing up with my materials and, and going through it? Um, and so on. So tree planting, I, I will do some, but mostly that's a, on, on consulting with people. Um, and, and so on tree, tree risk assessment is, is really based on what type of report do you want? So like on the zip lines, it's it's all hourly based um, because unless you've been even if you have been there before you you 
looking at different stuff. You don't know how long it's going to take. And report writing is a long process. And so it, it tends to be, you know, like there's a fee to get to whatever the location is. There's a fee for however much time is spent there. And there's a fee for the write up time. And, you know, you can kind of give them a rough estimate, but you don't know, you know, like, yeah, well, well, and that's kind of how it is with any industry. Yeah. Nobody's ever happy with the bill after the work is done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you're, you're being fair. You know, you, uh, so a lot of stuff is hourly rates, you know, when you're, when you're learning, uh, to give estimates or, or bill or whatever, sometimes you miss and you, you eat it, you know, okay. or, or you have problems. And I, I did two big removals a couple weekends ago and bid way too low. Um, I got to leave all the debris there. You know, I, I ended up working, like I said, I haven't advertised really at all. It's people I grew up with, you know, or know my parents will call me and like no one in their area will do it. I'm like, it'll be a month before I'm up that area. Like you want me to I mean, do it? A good problem to have is, uh, too much work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is again. I, and I don't have just a ton, but also being, I'm trying to figure out what to say no to, because if I have to rent equipment, or hire other guys to do stuff with me. And it's like the tree I was pruning this morning, it's totally fine for me to do by myself. But if I had another person there with me, we would have done it in half time. Yeah. But it would cost a lot more. Yeah. yeah. That's something that a lot of a lot of business people uh, say is, as a rule of thumb is when you have too much work, raise your prices. Uh, when you have too many customers or you have too much demand, Make it more expensive because you can make more money for this for less work. Uh, it seems like part of the draw for your particular business is that your 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 brand is kind of just doing it the right way. Everything doing it the right way, and I, I could see how there's a lot of value for that, and why a lot of people would want to cash in on that. Yeah, and, and again, so I when you have the advantage of telling people, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to top your tree. I'm not going to do this thing that's totally inappropriate for your tree. Um, it gives you leverage, you know, if you have to say yes to everything because you got to, you know, pay for your lease on your building or your chipper. Again, I, I have, I own a lot of climbing gear and related equipment and I think four chainsaws, but all that stuff is, is paid for. So I, I have lower overhead than some. Yeah. But it also means that I won't I won't do some things like I'm not gonna come out and clean up your brush pile like don't don't call me for that. That's I'm, a good luxury to have to not have to do. Yeah, yeah, and so there there's some stuff like that. But really, um, I feel like I've always been pretty straightforward with people. And again, the the counties that I I live and work near are just now probably going to be having emerald ash borer problems. And so I, I have a good chance to educate a lot of people, help them if they want to treat their trees, help for them to plan uh, for removal and or replacement of those trees because the wood, as emerald ash borer infests a tree, it cuts off all the conductive tissue. So basically it turns to styrofoam almost. Mm. I Is mean, that not where you see... Right underneath the bark, you see the little channels dug in. Uh, I've yeah. seen fallen trees, you know, out hiking that always have that. And I wonder what it is. Yeah, there, there's a lot of borer activity. Emerald ash borer is really particular. It's what they would call serpentine. So it's back and forth, back and forth, back and yeah. forth. Like I've seen whole, 
huge ash trees that all the bark has fallen off and they and they failed. So they're a lot more dangerous to remove. Um, the more infested that they get. Why? Because they could fall easy in more unpredictable ways. I guess. Well, so just from a basic physics standpoint, they don't have the load bearing capacity that they did. And so now you're trying to rig a heavy top out of it. And then <laughs> what should hold. Yeah. Doesn't. It's a tree this big around. Yeah. Like yeah. And it's it, not, and it's it, now broken yeah. and, and uh, you're putting all these forces into something that it's, it's not able to, withstand and so normally you're like oh yeah i'm comfortable climbing on you know for me i'm pretty small even with a, a bigger saw and a bunch of gear I, i'm not gonna hit 200 pounds um really oh well yeah how I mean, tall are you i'm like 511 mm. so but yeah so it's it's hard to you know some of the guys i work with who without any gear are 250 you know they that's that, a boy. It is. And there's nothing wrong with them climbing trees yeah. and they're great at it. I just, I just about mean how you do it differently. Well, yeah. And in the case of a tree that's compromised, you're like, Oh, no, yeah, extra 250 pounds on this side of the tree. Who knows what's going to happen if it's, yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's a lot of the stuff, but it, I'm trying to be able to do some stuff that other people aren't doing. And that's I'm, how you add value to, yeah. to your product, you know, is, that's how you keep from running prices into the ground. If a lot of times when people oh. don't have anything to value in their business, the only thing they can compete with is the price on it. And that's how you get nobody's making any money when everybody does that. I, I hate that. It, it's the race to the bottom. It's yeah, terrible. It's for everybody. Yeah. And that's arboriculture. So I bid a, a small town job. There's some grant money available uh, for through the Department of Conservation for tree improvements and and things like that. So uh, a smaller town here in Southwest Missouri called me and was like, "Hey, we need a, a bid for this." And I'm like, "Okay, it's fine. I can, all this is all stuff I can do. You know, I can hire some of my friends to assist on the removals. All the pruning I could have done by myself." And my bid was like three times more than the bid that they ended up choosing. And yeah. mine was there were one or two others that were higher than mine, and. I, I'm just like, I can't compete on price. I, yeah. I'm not only a certified arborist, board certified master arborist, and know all of these pruning standards, which these people don't have any yeah. of that, but they have a chip truck and a chipper. And, you know, it's, it just, it sucks, you know, because I think the tree removals, it's fine, whatever, you know, let, they, they, you can't ruin a tree removal unless you cut down the wrong tree. I mean, you can tear up a lot of property, yeah. but that's that's a different that, story. Yeah, that's that's totally separate. But pruning, you can really screw up, and uh, you can't fix it quickly. It's it's not a quick fix. You well, take too much like- off, you can't put it back on, and so <laughs> so the the small town, you know, they they wanted to to work with me, but they're they were limited on on budget, which is understandable. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm going to come down on price. And they yeah. say, oh, you know, like. If it doesn't make it worth it for you or if yeah. it hurts your business, then, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's okay. Right? And you're not the doing way, charity for the trees. <laughs> no. No. The, the way that you can come down on price is do less work, you know, yeah. or, you know, not handle any of the debris or whatever the thing is. And that's, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that I'm able to do in the rural areas 
where people, you know, can manage their own debris. They just like, yeah, I shouldn't climb this. Like, no, you should not. That is an elm has died of Dutch elm disease. And the and center is super sketchy. You do not need to be close to this tree at all until it's down the ground. It's crazy to think about how much there is to know about it. You know, like when I was in high school, I remember I went to the Walmart in Republic and it was Earth Day or Arbor Day or something. Mm-hmm. And they were giving out tree like little t- saplings of yeah. trees. And I don't know if, you know, that's something probably you would know about. I don't know if you, where you should or shouldn't or where is irresponsible to plant them. So I, my parents' house in uh republic just a subdivision you know regular yeah. house it didn't have any trees on it but i planted three of them yeah two of them are dead now but one of them it's like 20 feet tall yeah. oak tree now and i don't know if that's the right place to plant it or if it's going to cause problems in the future it's just in the middle of a yard yeah and that's that's the thing too a lot of times again the the bad planting bad planting thing talk about you know all trees under utility lines you know you don't want a huge tree under there because they're going to cut it down it or does look better though with a tree in the yard yeah it, it does and there, again there's so many benefits so so trying to get right tree in the right place has been something that's been for decades you know they've been trying to get people to do and look at and you know thankfully we're finally trying to kill all the bradford pears and all the other pears like that that's my favorite tree to kill really <laughs> yep. what's your favorite tree to save uh it's hard it, um again because saving is saving is a relative you're, yeah. you're just your, do you have a favorite tree at all? Ah, that's that's hard. Um, <laughs> I love seeing shortleaf pines around here. Yeah, it, they're not as prevalent. I've read a lot about how in decline they have been since you know a hundred years ago in yeah. Missouri. And I, when you go down sixty all the way to the Boot Hill, there yep. there's that section of it uh, around like Van Buren mm-hmm. uh, an area. Uh, I love. It's just like a really attractive looking tree. Isn't that what this is right here? No, it's it's actually not. Um, it's a that's an that's part of an oak tree um casey jones who did my apparently (laughs) no it's it's a silhouette it's all right matt Uh, (laughs) but yeah so i don't know i mean i have 15 trees in my yard at home part of why part of why we bought that house i I remember you posted a video on instagram of you walking around talking about what each tree was yeah yeah so it was it was nerdy and again they're not in just like amazing shape again the, the white pine is probably going to to die it just suffered really bad from the drought um but it's competing with other trees and so you know that's that's part part of it so it's kind of cool I, I like hearing about people who have all this technical knowledge about something people don't think about there's somebody i knew who worked who was going to mizzou and worked in like a soil lab at yeah. mizzou just talking about things that nobody thinks about i'll be the content of all these different types of soils where how farmers and people would send it into the school to get it analyzed and stuff yeah. that nobody thinks about it, you know? Well, we, we, um, I'm hoping more arborists will, con- will start the trend, uh, or continue on with, with testing. So for the, probably almost like the first two, three years that I was working all about trees, I would try to get people convince them that they should go ahead and test their soil or send in plant samples or whatever because it's not super expensive to to get some of these tests run and then you can can know some stuff and and some people would do it but it it took like years for me to be able to get some people to do it and so the question you asked earlier about do people ever take your advice i'm usually more surprised when they do (laughs) there was uh this lady and her husband east of of springfield and they were having problems with white pines and again eastern white pines are not native to missouri and again the native thing we kind of talked about but they're 
they can have their own set of problems. So uh, when we had all these really, really wet springs in a row, there were some fungal diseases that were happening on these white pines. And I was like, well, here's what you need to do. You need to get rake up all these needles and get rid of them. They're on the ground. Holding They're like, what? Moisture. Well, it not holding the moisture as the fungal spores uh, from those needles that were falling off were, were coming back down there. So, um, See, and that that was one one thing. I was like, you can hire us to do it, but you don't want to hire a whole bunch of certified arborists to rake, rake <laughs> all <laughs> of this <Yeah. laughs> needle debris and haul it off. Like that's going to cost you a lot of money. Um, like you can do it, you and your husband, if you want to. And I mean, they're retirement age, and I said you don't have to be in a hurry because like we're already in the growing season. Just do this, and then you know, do this every in the year. fall yeah. every year and whatever. And then we also pruned off some lower branches that were really infected. You know, and I said, you can do that if you, whatever you can reach is fine. Like, you don't have to pay us to do that. And then we can, you know, do a treatment of fungicide and then this growth regulator to help this tree out. And it was a huge effect. Like, yes, the things that, that we did as a company and the things that I recommended were important, but they actually did some of the things that were just as important. So it was about 30, I guess. Oh. I looked younger though. Gray <laughs> I was beard, say, I yeah. don't think you had gray in your beard last time. So no. what do you got here? What is this? Yeah, so this is a, this is a foot ascender. Again, there are a lot of different ascent devices that help you climb up a. a yeah, rope. you had those on your boots when you walked. Yeah, through. so this this is one that goes on your foot, like it says, and it will grab the rope. Oh, even though it's on do not disturb, it's my my alarm. Oh, <laughs> that's right. And then this crazy looking uh, saw you got here. Yeah, so this is a handsaw. Again, I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah, you're just using chainsaws. No, you use a handsaw a lot. You know, this is. That seems like it would be simpler for like a small limb you're trying to get rid of instead of a chainsaw. Yeah, and some of the ANSI standards actually say that you shall have a handsaw um, doing pruning operations. And so it's super nice to have, like, the whole tree I just pruned, I didn't even take my chainsaw up on it. You know, I I had a couple limbs that were like that, but it was like two or three. The rest were all smaller. I was just doing some uh, broken and dead wood removal of of this red maple tree that I was working with. So, oh. and how long does it take to cut, cut through one of those big <laughs> limbs like that? Depends. So, <laughs> depends on your teeth. You know, like this one. Probably either needs to be sharpened or the blade replaced. Um, but, and again, depends on wood type and, and so on. But sometimes, I mean, you can cut through something like the size of your coffee cup in just a few seconds. You oh, know? Really? I mean, it depends on the, <laughs> the wood type. Is that one that really only works by dragging it? Does it? Do you, yeah. It doesn't look like it'd work very easily by going forward yes. and backwards with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you are moving forward and backwards, of course, to get, yeah. the, get <laughs> yeah. the action. But, but yeah. yeah. That, uh, that looks... Totally like some kind of crazy horror movie murder weapon. <laughs> Big curved, gnarly. It, yeah, it, it would be pretty gross, and and I've definitely <laughs> cut myself with it. Uh, they they say uh, in the arbor culture world that silky is is the brand. It's one of the most common brands made in Japan. Uh, you have to give your blood sacrifice to the silky, and, and then you can use it. So, Are there have you ever seen any kind of crazy injuries uh, in the industry? Um. Thankfully, I have not seen anything super crazy. Um, 
I mean, I've definitely seen people get injured. Yeah. What kind of anything? I mean, but the company I worked for again was pretty safety conscious. Yeah. So, you know, it was mostly like, <laughs> oh, something bad almost happened. <laughs> uh, you know, there's. There's always the stuff like you get smacked in the face with a lift. Being around a chipper, chippers are are super dangerous. Chainsaws are incredibly dangerous. I'm wearing uh, chainsaw protective pants. You never know when a chainsaw's uh, just gonna come out of nowhere. Well, no, but really they're they're one of they're one of the most dangerous pieces of equipment that require no train. I mean, anybody can go buy one. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I guess you have to have the money, but but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so chainsaws are super dangerous, especially if you if you don't know how to use them, and you're using, uh, you know, you're in the kickback zone, or you're getting stuff that's a whole pinched a whole lot. Um, so I've never seen any super bad like chainsaw cuts at work. Oh. My dad, however, uh, growing up, um, cut himself multiple times, and he even though he had two sons that are arborists. And we gave him chainsaw chops. He still doesn't wear them. It's like I remember in uh, one of your classes making us watch a video about yeah the, yeah we watched the one chaps yeah yeah we did and and it it was the one with the ham yeah uh, maybe I don't remember. well I mean because we didn't we <laughs> made it cut through like jeans and yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was I, I don't remember which video it was but like I that was like a standard one that I would show yeah definitely um, I can't stand seeing people get hurt and stuff like that yeah. I see a lot of videos of people like weightlifting and hurting themselves and I can't stand watching it. When I was welding, the company I was working at, that's what sucks. You no matter how safety conscious you are, there's people that make their own decisions and you can't yes. always So they were always drilling into people's heads, don't wear your gloves when you're using these rollers that yeah. you run a piece of steel through and it curves it and yep. don't wear gloves cuz it'll catch your glove, pull your hand in. Yeah. And there's one time where you know, uh, there's signs all over the place to say, don't wear gloves when you're using yeah. this equipment. And I was welding and a guy comes up to the table and he's like holding his hand like this. Yeah. His glove is all mashed up. He's like, I messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and he ends up, the glove is torn up, but it had caught, it pulled in yep. and smushed his finger flat. And it was weird. It was so much pressure inside of his hand that this part busted out of his skin, even though yeah. this didn't yeah. get smashed. And I, I want to throw up. After yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's really some really gross stuff um, that can happen. Again, wood chippers are, are super dangerous. Again, they're high speed uh, rotation. Just having people know what they're doing. So like, I'll grab my climbing line for a second. If you can imagine this going through a chipper, I mean, like, if if you have somebody on the ground, like, say you're climbing, you're you're trying to keep this rope away from that, you know. And so uh, there's some videos out there that you can watch of of dummies and stuff going through the chipper, but people people die annually from going through a wood chipper. Ugh. It's terrible, Ugh. you know. People who people who know what they're doing, uh, you know, a lapse of judgment or whatever, um, that. It's just crazy, you know, checking equipment. Again, uh, working at All About Trees was good for safety culture because we did a lot of gear inspections and, and stuff like that for equipment as well as um, like climbing gear and stuff. You know, is my is my carabiner latching the way it should? Is it opening and closing appropriately? Is my rope damaged in a, in a way? So doing... I mean, daily, daily inspections is part of it, but then doing in-depth inspections too. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I've seen a few things 
you know, and I've got, you know, minor injuries, but a lot of it, again, related to a chipper. So the feed wheel is pulling something in and then it's grabbing a branch and it smacks you real hard, even though you're outside of the, the zone, because when you're chipping, you're supposed to chip from the side of, of the feed tray and stuff. And so, um, once whenever I first was working there, one of the chippers shot a chunk of wood about like this big out and it hit me. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I shouldn't have been straight behind the chipper. I wasn't like this close to it, but I was, you know, I had walked back in that danger zone to grab something else and, you know, I got, got dinged and part of it hit, hit me in the teeth. I had my oh. glasses on. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I've seen people, you know, other, other minor injuries, but the, the worst ones are like stuff you see online, just yeah. people who don't know what they're doing and, and stuff like that. And, Whenever I was in welding school, they made us get like that OSHA 10 hour yeah. certification. And it was kind of a BS training for it because my welding teacher basically just made us watch a bunch of videos of people getting electrocuted and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. I don't think that's part of the actual course, <laughs> <laughs> but I hated watching those too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, that's, that's another thing in arboriculture, uh, electricity is, is a, is a danger. So there's, there's so many, so many potential hazards. And again, so, on things like a tie-in point to your tree, how do you how do you know if it's going to hold the appropriate weight or a rigging point where you're tying uh, a rope to lower down a huge limb? You know, how do you know what that thing is going to hold? Well, there are general standards as far as um, like log weight charts and things like that, but there's a lot of fuzzy math. You know, yeah. there's a lot of fuzzy math, and and uh, there's a lot of things that you can do you know, wrong people using, uh, bucket trucks or aerial lifts to hold tree parts. Like that's, it's a horrible idea. You know, you're, you've overloaded this thing now too. And there's cycles to failure on rope, on, on equipment, whatever. So, um, it's incredibly dangerous industry, which is why the insurance is literally the most expensive, uh, that you can get. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. uh, it seems like you could uh, you could monetize teaching people in the industry. Uh, my my girlfriend, like I said, has a cleaning company, mm-hmm. uh, and she also has started recently a coaching business for yeah. people who want to start cleaning companies, and it's all online, and she makes money with it. You know, it's kind of crazy that people would pay that. I guarantee you, people would pay you just to learn how to start, run, and do it properly. Uh, arborist well there there's there's some really cool training out there again so there's a lot of the technical side and, and there's some really good organizations climbing may who i was talking about earlier her she started her own company within the past year or two uh called upward training she does a lot of different stuff her background so like if i was doing training i wouldn't do a whole lot of climbing training other than like beginner stuff yeah. because my level is not you know super advanced you know i can i can do a lot of stuff but compared to Caleb, who I used to work with, you know, that I couldn't teach advanced rigging, you know, I, I can do a lot of things. And then if I have somebody else there, get a lot of stuff done. But, but, uh, from the plant healthcare side, I mean, that's basically what I did as I was leaving all about trees was training the new guy, like, Hey, these are things you need to look for. And, and, uh, so yeah, there, there is an aspect of that too. And, 
that's why I like the consulting, going out and help, helping people find a find an issue. And there seems to be a trend between that and when you're teaching. You just yeah. probably just like doing that sort of thing. I do, <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I and so that's again, that's why it was frustrating whenever you know you're you're giving the best advice you can to a client, and they're just like, "No, nah, I just want the quick fix." I'm like, "Okay, well, you we can try to do that, but I, the result's not going to be good." I can't imagine how frustrating teaching high school kids is uh, when because there's no way they want to listen to you all the time. Yeah, um, I remember some pretty unruly kids. Yeah, that's in just classes. you and Cody. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think I was a pretty yeah. docile high school kid. I don't know. Yeah, no. So it's uh, I love the students. Um, I I really struggled with a lot of the organizational stuff and uh, whether it was having so much grading to do. And I always had a lot of different classes, you know, I never had less than four different courses a year. So it wasn't the students because again, a lot of them that, that were crazy just had garbage home lives, you know? And, uh, it's like somebody's sleeping in class. There's probably a reason they're sleeping in class. Like, Oh yeah, they, they work till 3am cause they help their parents pay the rent. That okay. sounds exhausting to have to learn. Like, not to have to, but like that you end up finding out all those things about, you know, a hundred different people. And yeah, or think, more. You know, I don't know how many <laughs> kids you're exposed to every year, but uh, it just sounds like uh, you learn a lot of things that you wouldn't have thought about. Yeah, it, again, it, and it's, it's a little bit sad because in some cases, even when I was a brand new teacher, I was more of a parent than some of the students ever had, and they saw me one or two classes a day and then FFA trips. And so um, I I loved the student part of it, but I was getting really burnt out at the end. And a lot of it had to do with um, the politics of, of uh, small town school boards and, and things like that. And, I guess and, I've never really known anything about it. <laughs> and uh, I was just, I was... Without saying you know negative things about specific <laughs> uh, people, yeah. I, I just I was. People said some things that were super hurtful that one weren't true, you know, about me. Like I I tried to care as best as I could for for any kid, but because oh, yeah. I wasn't showing favoritism towards certain people's kids, and they're just like, well, oh, really? you know, we'll, we'll we'll basically run you out of here. And really? It, oh, yeah, and so that you know it. it uh, and, and people weren't truthful, and and that was that was really hurtful, and so, um, it was weird because the most success FFA wise ever had was was at that that school, and and I had a good run with a lot of great students, and and uh, think a lot of them, and uh, have since written letters of recommendation and so on for for some of them, and so that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it seems like FFA has changed at Republic a lot since I graduated there. Uh, yeah, from what I could tell, at least for for my opinion, it it was it was good. Um, I didn't really know uh, Dave Merrith whenever he came there when I was um, when I was there, but he made me a better teacher oh. um, and a better person. And I only worked with him one year before I went to Spokane and started the new program. But that program at Spokane never. I never would have been nearly as successful if I hadn't worked with him for one year. And uh, it was just weird because it like personality difference. I was, I was like really 
it, a lot different from Shoemaker, who is an awesome guy. It's just like two different ends of, of the spectrum. Yeah. And uh, just learning to appreciate that. One one thing I feel like I've done pretty well is kind of be eclectic and, and be able to accept a lot of different people. Like I, we had the more traditional, you know, ag kids, but I didn't matter to me if you had 47 piercings and purple <laughs> hair, if you wanted to learn about plants or whatever it was. And yeah, uh, I, I remember that I'd, I'd be, all, I'd be all about having, having you in class and like, just cause I don't know anything about anime and you, you like it. Okay, cool. Like that's whatever. That's- I, I just, I felt like, <laughs> and, and I, I hope that, that most students felt like that too, that, I really did care about them as people, but because of that, again, you you have like this weight. I, I I felt like I was never done with teaching. I was never on a break, even if I was on a yeah. break. I I was concerned, you know, about students that were having a hard time in their life at home, uh, you know, and, and there was always something. I, I I could never be off, you know, mentally off work, and in it. And it made things worse at home for me. And my wife was just like, you are not happy. <laughs> you think that's how it is for a lot of teachers all over the place that they're, they inevitably feel like they have a lot more responsibility than they should in that, in that role. Yeah. I, I think, I think we, we have some, some issues with, with teaching the people that say the teachers are in it, you know, for whatever reason, are probably not right. There are very few teachers that I ever met that didn't care about kids a lot, a lot, um, because there's a lot of BS you have to go through, and it costs a decent amount of money to be able to become a certified teacher. Um, there were very few teachers that, you know, I thought didn't care about students, and those were usually at the end of their career where they they did like what they were doing, but they were frustrated they hadn't adapted to some things or um, they just needed to be done. And so I, I, it's, I would say in general teachers, especially post COVID who are still teaching and wanting to teach uh, are there for a good reason. And um, I would say most teachers who do any outside of class type stuff, whether it's sponsoring a club or, or being an FFA advisor or, choir or, or band or anything like that you just have the chance to know your students you know uh, a little bit more than say um you know a, a normal normal classroom teacher uh you know if you're the history teacher and you coach soccer well then you're gonna know those soccer players yeah. and and so on so um there's a lot of good people i worked with again I would say 90, 95 plus percent of the teachers, administrators, school boards that I worked with were, were great people. It's, it's the small, the small portion, parents, same way, um, made, made it where it was not worth it for me. Wow. I've never had to a, do it. Yeah, I've never had a position where I had to be that involved with all the people, really, uh, where you had to you had to clash with people that much really I've never had that kind of position where you had to think about it that much really <laughs> yeah yeah so it again it was it was weird um it, there there were just so many so many factors um i did and i just worked so much uh i couldn't i couldn't get stuff done as fast as some other people yeah. as far as lesson planning and writing i'm not really fast at writing um unsurprisingly to a lot of people i've 
was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, um, which shouldn't have been surprising based on a lot of things. But uh, so that that was a big, big factor, too, of like I was just becoming less and less happy with all of the paperwork and, and other things, even though I loved, you know, the FFA stuff and, and uh, teaching students something that they could use later in life, you know, whether it was yeah. basic welding or woodworking or you know some some stuff about plants or soils or whatever there's so. definitely plenty of things that i remember learning in classes with you that i still remember and i think of as really interesting things uh even though they probably don't have any use in my daily life there's sure. a lot of things about <laughs> plants or about yeah like land surveying stuff that i yeah, never yeah. <laughs> thought about before but i still remember <laughs> uh just all kinds of random things. Yeah. I still get the Missouri Conservationist magazine yeah. delivered to my house all the time because you had the stacks of them yeah. that we would do those worksheets yeah. out of or whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, I think I think one thing that has been cool of, of going out of teaching is seeing how I, I would get too caught up in like a certain protocol of of the way to do things. There's there's a lot of barriers in teaching and again, um, there's no quick fixes. If somebody had a quick fix, they would have already already done it um but when i left teaching my hourly pay rate went up a lot because i was working way 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 less yeah even though i made less money in in a year i was working way less when i was when i was off i was off you know that's yeah. my kind of job. I hate uh, overtime. I hate doing things you don't have to do. I love free time. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, you, you can. For me, I you know, my my last year of teaching, I we had just had our second kid, and so um, I just I needed more time. And again, it's my, the most valuable resource. Yeah, it, it is, and so trying to trying to learn how to to utilize that um again i i had some really great experiences at every single school that i that i taught at taught joplin three years republic three years spokane two and then monette one um good people all over the place interesting things uh i don't know i you know i was i was super proud of some things that we've that we accomplished at spokane with uh, them being a brand new ag program and ffa chapter and uh you know my cool. my best uh speakers in ffa events were were those two years uh girl got second place in creed at state and and uh and continued to do well in speeches later on and um the forestry kids that i had did did really well and and were top top 10 at state and it was just a fun good group of of kids that that were worked really hard and and uh wanted to wanted to learn a bunch of nerdy stuff so i thought it was kind of i remember when we would go on those competitions and stuff and i feel like we never really took it that seriously (laughs) we just kind of were like getting out of school for a day sure uh i thought it was fun though we got to meet a lot of cool people uh learn things that nobody would ever it's like ffa makes you learn things that school wouldn't uh, yeah do normally well and, and that's the the cool thing again like i i still value it and and after getting out of teaching i was still able to help with some ffa forestry competitions um i actually helped run the district competition the one year during covid because 
Missouri State and and stuff. They weren't doing any of that kind of stuff. So one of the teachers was like, "Hey, I got a big favor to ask." I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it." Because be interesting. It, it was it was really cool. Um, again, I had a, a lot of good background, but really, what I had was a really good team of of uh, retired teachers who. I didn't hardly have to do anything. I was able to collect a lot of disease and pest samples because like part of my job, I was like, find them like, Oh, I'll just save this for the comp competition, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, those, those were, um, those were some good, I had some good times at, at every, every place I was. And Republic was your favorite though, obviously. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, again, I, I had a, I had a yeah. lot of, of good times at every every school, and and again, some of the at Spokane is a smaller smaller school, yeah. so I had a a bigger chunk of of the kids. Yeah, and, like you uh, said, they and I started, start, yeah. and I started the program, so that it was it was a lot of where it's like okay, like no one else can take credit for like doing this. Not that I didn't, do, you know, not that I did everything right. I totally didn't, but. Um, Again, but I, I credit a lot of the success there to working just one year with with David at, at Republic. Um, it just made me a, a better teacher, and, and I think figure out how to push some kids to win because I have a personality where I, I like to win, but I don't really like to just like like oh you're gonna do this. So trying to figure out how to balance that, that of getting students to believe in themselves. So hey yeah like you can you can do this really well. And so whatever the FFA knowledge team, my first year at Spokane won one district. So I was like, this is awesome, you know? Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people. I definitely never won anything. In FFA. <laughs> That's right. Again, <laughs> I, I got some like second place ribbons on, plant, on yeah. a welding table or something yeah. at the fair, I think. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not all, all about winning. I, I do like to win, but. But again, a lot of the learning, you know. Yeah, that's um, my favorite. I love learning stuff. You should see. I know Wikipedia is not the the go to source for information, but my Wikipedia app on my phone has hundreds of tabs of just yeah. things. A lot of them, honestly, are about trees. I like learning about what trees are related to each other sure. taxonomically. Uh, it's pretty fun. Taxonomy is crazy because it's always <laughs> changing too. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a it's like a an area of science that people are always arguing about. <laughs> yeah, they are. Do just so you know, the dogwoods have been split up. They're yeah. all cornice. There's this. Uh, I don't know if you're ever on TikTok. Uh, I recently had to delete it because it's way too addicting. But yeah. there's a, a TikTok account that I followed. Uh, the guy's like a woodworker, but he's also really into trees. And yeah. he made this map thing where he would every state's tree he yeah, cut I, out it, i i have seen his stuff um, yeah and his very last one he did was missouri's uh but he didn't do the dogwood because he, he did, felt he said he did a black walnut yeah he thought he's he and he argued very well he, he did put up a good argument why he thought that should be missouri's uh state tree instead yeah <laughs> well it's there, there's a lot of cool there's a lot of cool stuff and yeah i cannot think of his name but um actually i got that map, not with the wood, but the picture oh, of the cool. U.S. map, um, like for my birthday or Christmas, I, I, you know, like It'd my cool parents were asking, like, of, uh, with all the wood, yeah, yeah, yeah it's some exotic woods on there. Yeah, he's like got Hawaii some, and... he's got some really cool, cool stuff that he does. Yeah, so. I, I like that guy. Uh, I wish I remembered his name. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, is this an industry that is there growth in arboriculture, or is it? Uh, do you see a lot of opportunity since I guess 
you pr- you must since you just started a business. <laughs> yeah, or else I'm just totally crazy. Um, and no, no, there there's huge there's huge opportunity in arboriculture. Um, I think like a lot of industries, you know, it's dominated by really large companies, which we don't have any of the enormous like national companies here in Southwest Missouri, other than in the utility arboriculture industry, which is pretty normal. Um, but again, the bigger, the more overhead you have, again, wages tend to get suppressed. And so people can, can start their own business, but honestly, I never would have started my own business without working at a good company first. I'm learning a lot of stuff. How it could be done properly. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, it's too easy to die. Uh, I mean, and get seriously hurt with some of the stuff that, that is done in, in pruning and removal operations. I mean, not so much in consulting, you know, expert, expert witness stuff. I guess somebody can try to shoot you, but it's, uh, it's crazy how much you can prevent by just making sure you do things the right way. Every mm -hmm. time, whenever I was in the Navy, that's kind of how they make sure things go well is no matter how mundane of a task you're doing, you, there's a procedure and you follow it step by step, no matter if you're greasing a hinge it's yeah. there's a procedure for everything and it, as long as you follow it nothing will go wrong <laughs> well you, not not totally but but yeah it, it prevents you know um I, I can't remember who says it but there's an arborist that says uh like basically deal with your maintenance or your maintenance will will deal catch up to you yeah <laughs> type of thing because it's like oh yeah well should have sharpened this chain or should should have been you know greasing these hydraulic you know, the, the fittings on this hydraulic machine, yeah. you know, whether it's a skid steer or whatever, but, um, and then I didn't, and now it's, you know, Junk. taking a dump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. It's, I wonder how hard it is to get into that habit of, I guess it sounds like you're going to try to keep those good habits from the get go. Whereas an industry that does it, try to, you know, some company who realizes 10 years down the road, they're like, we're doing a lot of things wrong and we're going to save a lot of money and time by going doing things the, the right way. I wonder how much harder it is to correct them. Uh, correcting mistakes is always harder, no matter, no matter what it is, whether it's, uh, I mean, whether it's dribbling a basketball or, or whatever. And so for, for me, um, like relearning some rope work skills was like, Oh, so hard because I didn't start out doing them very well. Um, so yeah, and I think again, you go back to the the thing. There's there's the race to the bottom, and in, in so much of it's a service industry. You're like, oh, well, they can trim my trees for this. Well, it's not the same thing. I'm not yeah. going to do the same thing as as anybody in honestly in the market that I'm in near Carthage, Joplin. I mean, there's hardly any certified arborist in that area. Period. But I, I'm just I'm not going to do some of the same things. Like for to remove your tree, okay, hire whatever. That's yeah. fine. Um, but there's there's nobody there who's gonna gonna do a lot of the things that that I am doing. And well, that so, gives you a lot of room to make money. <laughs> yeah, you, because you can do you can provide a service that nobody else is going to. Sure. Again, it's but some of that some people are only only on price, and and those are not the people that I'm trying to work for, and yeah. that's okay. That's one of the hard parts about business is. That's just, that's market, that's sales really. Just trying yeah. to convince people that 
your service is the one they actually want or mm-hmm. need. <laughs> and a lot of times that is not the only thing people care about is money sometimes. Uh, yeah, and, and it matters, you know. So yeah, if, if I can have my chimney cleaned for for $300 or whatever it is. What does it cost to get it? I don't know. I've never. Uh, <laughs> I live in an apartment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, I mean, I think it was something like that. I, I can't remember for sure. It, it might have been a dryer vent cleaning and inspection <laughs> and and the chimney. But let's say it's it's that. Well, why do I care if, you know, if this person does it or this person does it? You know, like credentials and stuff matter to some degree. But again, the a lot of the public just doesn't know enough about arboriculture. You know, they're seeing people like, oh, they trim my neighbor's trees on 200 bucks. And, you know, yeah. they're topping well, stuff. The, that's the, the, the purpose of getting all these certifications and mm-hmm. stuff is because you're taking that knowledge load off of the customer. Yeah. And all they can do is trust a governing body to make sure that you're doing everything <laughs> properly. Yeah. And the governing body has doesn't have teeth like some do. Um, you know, but if, if somebody was like, oh, I saw, you know, they saw me topping trees. Yeah. Well, all they would have to do is basically submit something to ISA, and then I would I would not be credentialed. Well, you know? it, it's, is it a, f- a fight for you that a lot of small town stuff is just the neighbor comes over and cuts off part of your tree? Uh, how do you get around people saying things like that? Customers, whenever you quote them, how do you get around that? Well, a- again, a lot of times it's just having – not even going to to do an estimate in some cases like you you have to understand like I'm not going to be the lowest price having that conversation or I'm going to do a consultation like I I might do work for you too but you might not need work done yeah and I'm not going to go charging. I'm not I'm <laughs> yeah and I'm not going to go there just to sell you work because again the problem with that mindset and again, I had a lot of cool flexibility at All About Trees, which is, this is not normal for a lot of arboriculture companies. Even though I was the plant healthcare manager, I wasn't like, I didn't have sales quotas or whatever to meet. It was, the most important thing is that you do what's right for our customers. Yeah. And well, I don't scary. want you to sell unnecessary stuff. And because of that, I sold a ton of stuff. Because I was really straightforward with people. And I'm like, all right, you can do this, 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 and this. Well, what would you do if it was yours? I was like, well, I would do it myself. And I want to cost me this money. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it, because it, you know all this. Yeah. And I was like, and I've, and I've, you know, I would have never had volcano mulch. That's a all valuable. Over, uh, all over my tree. That it, it must feel good to work for a company who does something like that, who makes it so that you're doing things. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, I didn't, I never felt like, oh, I've got to, got to do this. And, you know, sometimes you're just like, this is not the best option. A customer wants it anyway. Um, And sometimes you just, you have to walk away. You have to say no. And sometimes it's trying to convince them to do something else. Like, this is what you want. But it's not the right option. (laughs) Yeah. Or we can do this and it's still an option that's okay, but you need to understand like what the potential consequences are of this particular action, you know? Um, But yeah, it's, it's hard because again, there's Springfield probably Springfield Metro probably has 50 plus tree services, you know, some of them are just the ones that just spray painted signs you know and literally <laughs> landscaping uh, i mean it's not the same thing as landscaping but i know they're a it's a super saturated market mm-hmm. uh and if you're saying most people are just cutting 
trees <laughs> and that's it yeah yeah it, and again some people it's they'll just do literally whatever the customer wants you ever think about doing like a business to business type thing of you could be consulting for some of these other and just making propping up their business also uh yeah and again that just depends um i'm i'm willing to work with and for other people I've, i have a, a friend in oklahoma who's like hey dude like like, can you come down, you know, for a little bit? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I can't, I can't be gone like super long. I'm mean, gonna come down for a day or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of that's just trying to figure out what all I want to do. Cause like, will I do tree planting? Yes. Is that going to be the main thing I do? No, mostly it's going to be helping you find a, a right, you know, the tree to plant. I'm not going to have equipment to, you know, bring it all, all out there and, and so on. So. Well, I feel like we could talk forever, but yeah, we, keep on going. We, we, definitely, we definitely could. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I should should go home. Yeah, that's but right. uh, do you have? Uh, I know you said that you're you don't have that much help yet, so you can't take that much business. Yeah. But what people who are interested in your services? How yeah. do They get a hold of you. Yeah. So I can um, put all your stuff up. On yeah. The yeah. You totally yeah. can. <laughs> yeah. Arbor Cutler is uh, the name of the business, and it there is a just one website page because we're working on the rest of it. I have a lot of writing to do, which I'm not super motivated That's to do. That's what that AI is for. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's so good. At, you need to you get on there and you tell it a few things. You're like, I'm trying to write an ad copy for yeah. such and such, or I'm trying to write a landing page from a website. This is our values. This is all the stuff. And it'll yeah. pr- spit a thing out just like that. <laughs> it takes it's away a, a lot of work like that. It's so, like, so yeah. So anyway, um, that's, that's one way. And again, I, I work not just in, in Missouri, but it just kind of depends, you know, like for consulting and stuff. I'm not going to go to Alaska to prune somebody's tree. It would be, it'd be super like expensive. fun tax write-off, though. Uh, yes. I want yes. to go to Alaska. Yes, it does. Um, Alaska's great. I've I lived say, there two I, summers. I remember you saying something about you and some friends or something swimming in Alaska when it was frozen mm-hmm. or yeah, something Yeah, well, like I would well, yeah. swim in a gl- glacial lake. Oh, yeah, I'm obsessed with national do. parks. Dude, and hiking in the mountains and stuff, and I'd love. There's to a bunch up there. The Tongass National yeah. Forest is is beautiful. Really, mm-hmm. my the most beautiful place I've ever been, uh, Grand Teton National Park yeah. in Wyoming. Have you been there? Yeah, I have twice. Uh, oh, maybe really? three times. It's I, if I could afford it, I would live in Jackson. I would. Uh, that place is. Me and Cody went on this 20 mile hike up into the mountains nice. there and saw bears and moose, and it's the most beautiful scenery I've ever ever seen. I can't imagine a better place to. To hang out <laughs> yeah there's uh wyoming is very unpopulated too <laughs> yeah well, and there's a lot of different terrain there's the yeah. tetons over on the west and then you get like we went to devil's tower and that area yeah. is way different it uh, is there's a lot devil's of stuff. Tower's cool. yeah there's a lot of stuff you ever hear people there's like a viral post i've seen online where people try to say <laughs> devil's tower was an old tree <laughs> yeah those people are on crack yeah <laughs> on the record <laughs> yeah yeah well uh i guess I'm going to put all your information yeah. up on the screen. Yeah, you but, totally can. Yeah. Thanks right. for coming on. And no, thanks. I'm glad it worked trees. out today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could uh, I could keep talking about, I, I like hearing about trees, and I annoy people most of the time with trying to f- figure out stuff. Well, about you pay me trees. that right amount of money, you know, I'll talk to you about trees yeah. all day, man. Well, it's mostly yeah. when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm hiking and I'm looking at a tree and I'm like, I wonder what, what kind of tree that is or something. And there's tons of, in my phone, pictures of pine cones or leaves yeah. or stuff or twigs, and then I'm going to go back later, try to figure out what it is. And that's yeah. way harder, I've noticed. I don't know how to, how am I supposed to take something like a twig or a leaf yeah. and be like, what kind of 
tree did this come from? <laughs> well, location is part of it too. Yeah. So if if you have location on your phone where it's like, oh, I uh, was in, you know, southeast Nebraska or wherever you were. Yeah. So. Well, I've heard, as far as I could tell, that that shortleaf pine is the only native pine tree to here. But I saw a few weeks ago on a trail in Branson. The whole trail had these pine trees that didn't look like it. They were they had like five needles mm-hmm. in a bundle, and they were a lot softer needles. What kind of I don't know what kind of pine tree that would be. Um, <laughs> is well, that hard to tell off of that description? E- Eastern white pine is is one that could be, and they're planted in Missouri a lot. Yeah. Uh, so they were all uh, like along like Tanicomo on uh, uh, Table Rock or not Table Rock. Uh, I actually think it is part of Table Rock State Park. There's a bunch of okay. trails right there, but you know, they could have been planted. Yeah, very possible. Yeah. Thanks for watching, guys. If you like that, we've got a lot more content on Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/DTMWFI. Uh, we got behind-the-scenes content. We got early access stuff. We've got videos that are exclusive to Patreon that we won't post on YouTube. We got tons of stuff like that. Yeah, and we've also got uh, pages on TikTok and Instagram. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. Yeah, Uh, so thanks for watching, and uh, see you next time.